Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. What I am about to tell you sounds crazy, but the longer I talk, the more rational it's going to appear. Good evening and welcome to Two Guys. Fuck you. <laughs> How do you know I wasn't talking about him? Uh, welcome to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Edge of Tomorrow. Beware. Spoilers. Broadcasting to you from my basement as always, my name is Don. And to my right, we have the comic book guy, John. How's it going? And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. I feel like we've done this before. And to my left, we have the professor. I just, hold on, hold on. Listen, listen. (sighs) Okay, do it. Duh! (laughs) How you guys doing? Good. Doing good? Yeah. All right, The Edge of Tomorrow was released on June 6, 2014. Uh, It was directed by Doug Lyman. The screenplay was written by Christopher McQuarrie, Jez Butterworth, and John Henry Butterworth. It stars Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, Bill Paxton. Yay, Bill Paxton. R.I.P. Brendan Gleeson and Noah Taylor. And it's apparently based off of a Japanese manga book called All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka. Nice going, Professor. Yeah, so it was based on uh, this, mo- or it was a book first, and then it got turned into a manga, and I guess it just kept going. Um, I mean, uh, it probably it has. Yeah, the uh, story hasn't more, ended. Right. Um, a buddy of mine at work, we were talking about it because I had to ask him what a manga was. So, yeah. Which is kind of like cool. a, it's almost like a comic book graphic novel. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he was in saying. In Japanese style. Yeah. Hugely successful in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what do you guys think? Do you guys like this film? I dig this movie. It's it's a fun watch. It's a good summer movie. And whose pick was this? It was mine. It and was Ken's last pick. And this was Ken's last pick of yeah. the fifteen that we put in the helmet uh, when we first started. Uh, this is we've come to the end of that one. So yeah, well done. It's a great action movie, but kind of a flawed story. Well, I mean, I mean, let's be real. It's Groundhog's Day meets uh, robots. Well, Groundhog's Day meets Starship Troopers. Yeah, uh, for sure. It, it definitely can be that. If you consider the mimics as bugs. Uh, but they're not supposed to be bugs. You know what they reminded me of? Like every other alien I've seen since 1999? Lay it on me. The Matrix. The way they moved and the way their tentacles moved, they, they look like the Sentinels. And, and, and once the camera stopped and we kind of looked at it, you know, they roar and you see the energy coming out of their mouth or whatever. They look less like the Sentinels, but as soon as I see them move and stuff, I, I think the Matrix and I'm like, ah, oh, we didn't we couldn't get a better alien than that. But it could just be me. I think it's just you. I thought they were looking pretty darn good. <laughs> well, uh, well guess, thanks, Professor. I read somewhere that Del Toro 
had originally designed a whole different look for the aliens, but they didn't like his design, so they didn't use it. Who's Del Toro? The director Del Toro. Uh, yeah, Guillermo Del they Toro? brought him in to design the aliens. Oh, really? And I didn't he, know they that. didn't like his designs, so oh. they went with a completely different design. Well, that's too bad. They had hundreds of different designs, and they had dozens of models that they went through. And in the end, they wanted to have something that looked uh, very unique. And uh, they eventually settled in on this design partially because of the fast, slow movement, as well as the uh, the attack style that it could attack in multiple directions uh, at the same time, you know, uh, piercing people. Yeah. All I'm saying is they look like the Sentinels. <laughs> I, I can see how you would think that because of... It's almost like that they're moving like they were underwater. Yeah. This movie certainly is not without its flaws, 100%. uh, But it was enjoyable. And as far as a Tom Cruise movie went, I was really surprised. Um, This isn't uh, the first time I had seen it when we watched it the other night. I'd seen it before. uh, But I never saw it in the theater, sadly. Did either of you see it in the theater? No, I saw it, I think, first time on HBO. Yeah. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I kind of doubt it, actually. How did how did this do in the in the box office? Uh, it was made for a hundred and seventy eight million and made roughly three hundred and seventy one million. That's worldwide. Yeah, so uh, it is considered a flop, I, I suppose. But it grew bigger in the home market, or as soon yeah. as they released it on uh, Blu Ray. Rich, do you know what they did when they released it on Blu Ray? They added like 90 minutes of new footage or something and different specials and clips. And I, I wasn't familiar um, with that. Yeah, I don't Don think is they talking did. about something else. The, the marketing that was done, Warner Brothers was anxious about its, uh, its presence in the American box office. And so to inject a sense of freshness to it, they uh, emphasized the, the tagline and de-emphasized the title of the movie. And as a result of that, it became known more for its tagline than it was for the title of the movie. Yeah, I guess it was considered a flop because in the U.S. initially, after costing $178 million to make, initially it only made $90 million. Yeah, it, it didn't do very well here at all. Furthermore, Warner Brothers, they invested $100 million in advertising to it. A hundred million. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So ultimately when it got released on Blu-ray, it was now titled Live, Die, Repeat. Yeah. Have you heard what the sequel is going to call be called? Live, Die, Repeat Again? No, I think it's Live, Live Die, die repeat, repeat, and Repeat. Oh, again. and Repeat, yeah. Yeah, I did hear that. So hopefully they'll work on that. <laughs> uh, the plot of this movie is a soldier fighting aliens gets to relive the same day over and over again. The day restarting every time he dies. So when I first saw this or, or heard it was coming out, I thought it was kind of like another, just another Tom Cruise movie. Um, Can we talk about that for a moment? Because you and I, Don, we're on the same page when we talk about another Tom Cruise movie. There's this Tom Cruise thing that you and I are very familiar with. John, do you know what we're talking about? I I may, but I do have a comment to make. So I want to hear what your guys' comment so for me, and, and Ken agrees uh, too, uh, when we look up on the screen, it's hard not to see Tom Cruise and not the character he is uh, portraying. So when I saw this, I was pleasantly surprised because I thought he played the character uh, brilliantly. Uh, but if you look at any other film, uh, 
outside of the Mission Impossible series, really, because I buy him at Mission Impossible because the guy gives you a hundred percent of what he's doing and does most of his own stunts. Yeah, he does his own stunts. He 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 never phones in a performance, even if the movie is shitty. He never phones in the performance. So yeah, it's it's hard not to see Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise, but sometimes I can stomach it and. Uh, and I enjoy some of his films. So part of it also has to do with how the story is being told, because it, that can be a major distraction. More often than not, every thirty seconds or so, when he's on the screen, I'm going, "That's Tom Cruise. That's Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's Tom Cruise." And it's a distraction. I was reading somewhere. I thought it was interesting. A reason why Tom Cruise wanted to do this movie, why is it, he was excited about it? Why is this movie different than most of other Tom Cruise movies? Because he dies in it? Oh, yeah. No, it's it's because in this movie, he's not an expert at something. He's not the, the best guy, best fighter, best thing in the beginning. He has to work his way up to it, whereas most movies start off with him just being this brilliant fighter, martial artist, you know, spy, whatever. Well, I never really thought about it that this way. This one he starts out point. kind of as a, uh, you know, as a joke, as a character. And becomes this super soldier. That's what Doug Lyman, the director, enjoyed about Tom Cruise in this movie, is that Tom Cruise is very bad at what he does. Yeah, Yeah. that's the quote. In 2015, aliens called Mimics arrive in Germany via an asteroid and swiftly conquer most of continental Europe. By 2020, the United Defense Force, a global military alliance established to combat the alien threat, finally achieves a victory over the Mimics at Verdun using newly developed mech suits. In Britain, the UDF plans a major invasion of France. General Brigham orders recently attached U.S. Major William Cage of the Media Relations Department to cover it. Cage, having no combat experience, objects and threatens to blame Brigham should the invasion fail. Brigham has Cage arrested and sent to Heathrow Airport, now a military base. Cage awakens to find Brigham has demoted him to private and assigned him to Master Sergeant Farrell and the Misfit J-Squad, who do not take kindly to Cage. Now, this is where one of my first issues with the movie comes in. In the beginning, don't they talk about how the aliens always seem to know where they're going to be and what they're going to do, like they're always one step ahead of them? But yet... The whole movie starts off with them talking about Operation Downfall and saying, this is where our big tack is. We're sending all of our soldiers in. You know, they're broadcasting their whole plans right in the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. When, <clears throat> when, we, get, when we get caught up in the narrative uh, of the beginning of the film with all the news clips, they're totally laying out their plan to the aliens. Yeah, but right after complaining about the aliens are always one step ahead of them. Yeah, well, they're boneheads. No, I, t- I totally saw that, and I st- I, I was kind of thinking that when uh, we were watching. I'm thinking, why are they announcing? I mean, they're aliens. They should have the tech. They should be monitoring us, right? They've been kicking our ass for however many years this has been going on. And if, the, if they're so advanced, why is it taking them so long to move through Europe? Why haven't they conquered the world or the Earth yet? Do you remember General Schwarzkopf during Desert Storm? Yeah, kind of. There was a great story of he, you know, they used to put out their plans, but the media used to spill their operations all over, you know, the news and the enemy always knew what was going to go on. So he started using the media and started telling different plans. Like they were going to come in by air when they were actually coming in by ground. Oh yeah, bait and, and so he used the media in that way. I, I kind of expected him to try to do that at least in this movie. 
Yeah, and and maybe ultimately that was their plan, but you know, we see we see how it kind of turns out. The interesting thing too about this first, you know, they keep talking about Operation Downfall. This movie was released on the anniversary of D-Day. Oh, really? So that whole operation was supposed to be a kind of salute to D-Day. Yeah. That's why it looked the same. Well, uh, the director, Doug Lyman, he he was heavily influenced by uh, World War II, and he wanted that beachfront assault to look like what we remember from the World War II Normandy invasion. Yeah. And if you look at that, yeah, it definitely does uh, harken back to that. So after this montage we get, we get introduced to Tom uh, Cruise's character uh, character properly. He has a meeting with General Brigham and Brigham is telling him that I'm going to send you uh, on the front lines with the camera crew to capture our victory. Uh, we, want to, we want you to be there and we want you to be Johnny on the spot and capture it all. What I really enjoyed about Tom Cruise's performance is he looked terrified. He looked like he was shitting in his pants when the general's talking to him, right? And uh, he gives that Tom Cruise smile, but with that Tom Cruise smile, you could see in his face that he was shitting his pants. And you, you got to give it to the guy, right? He he, I thought he did a great job in that scene, and I loved it because it, it introduces us to Cage's character, and this is what we know of him now, and now we get to go on this journey with him. So ultimately he, you know, he doesn't want to go. He objects, uh, threatens to blackmail a general. That's where I'm confused by this because the first thing he's, one of the things he says to him is, well, you can't order my, only my CEO can order that. He's like, well, I've already talked to your CEO. Right. So instead of, you know, Cage going and calling his CEO to verify this or see if he can talk his CEO out of it, he jumps straight to blackmail. Yeah. You're blackmailing a general because that's going to go well. Yeah, I mean, he could have he could have said uh, okay and left, uh, and then tried to make that phone call. But you know, the general was watching him, and whether the general whether that was bullshit or not, you know, I <laughs> I think it's funny that he doesn't even think to call him until he gets to J Squad, and by that time, it's too late. Yeah, he could have faked his way out instead of running out of there. Yeah, so <laughs> so I like that the general walks him out of the office, and Cruz thinks he you know just weaseled his way out of this. And the general looks at uh, the guys outside and he says, arrest this man. And then we cut to him waking up, which is, is kind of our starting point in our video game. And this again, this is where my second issue comes in. You know, I have a few issues, not a lot. My second issue is he wakes up and this is where he, that I think that Master Sergeant Farrell, I think is his name, introduced him, finds him, and he gets introduced to J-Squad. Nobody recognizes Cage, even though he is technically the military PR guy who's all over TV. Yeah. But nobody recognizes him. Or they recognize him and they don't care. I don't know. I don't think they recognized him at all. Well, maybe they don't watch TV. That's that's how I took it. Did it bother you? A little bit. Okay. All right. It's just all of a sudden he's out there. He's a private and... Not even the master sergeant recognizes him. And I thought the movie kind of did a, uh, I, I think the movie did a good job of kind of showing that when Cruz wakes up and they're like, wake up, maggot, blah, blah, blah. And he meets Sergeant Farrell and Farrell's like, I'm going to turn you into a, a soldier or whatever. And and uh, Cruz says, look at me, I'm old. 
I can't be, a, I'm, I'm going to be no good to you. So again, he, he's still trying to weasel his way out of going into combat. But, but Bill Paxton. Oh my gosh. Blew this role away. You know, let's talk about this for a second. So this is where he meets uh, Sergeant Farrell, played brilliantly by the late, great Bill Paxton. Ken and I were talking about this. Uh, I think that his character, Farrell, had Hudson lived and gotten off the planet and they defeated the aliens whatnot i think this is what hudson would have been in the marines at, uh, when he got to that age totally yeah some some great lines and some you know great lines so are you from america no i am not i'm from kentucky <laughs> yep yeah so many good did lines. you get the uh, terminator references in this movie I just remembered the car keys one. There was the car keys and the visor, but there was also when he first cage first wakes up, he asks uh, Master Sergeant Farrell, "What's wh- the date? What what date is it?" Uh, no, well, that's yeah, that's after his first experience of nine. Yeah, after right. well, after the first experience, but yeah, for you, Judgment Day. Yeah, yeah. no, there you go. So he gets introduced to uh, Sergeant Farrell. Farrell takes him in to get processed. He now gets introduced to J-Squad. They kind of introduce you to all the characters, and Farrell walks in, and he breaks up a game of poker, and he talks about how he feels about gambling, and we kind of get a sense of uh, lo- what life is like for J-Squad. He also brings up in his quote, uh, you know, what is his feelings on fate? And I believe J-Squad says something along the lines of that they control their own fate, mm-hmm. which is basically as... Don loves to put out or point out foreshadowing. Yep. The control of fate. So Cage can't get out of it. He's got to go to combat. We cut to the next day. They have these mech suits that, you know, any science fiction movie these days, you're, you're going to have a mech suit of some sort. I thought that these ones kind of reminded me of the power loader in aliens, mm-hmm. like the skeleton version of it. They went through a ton of versions on these and the, the general criteria that they were looking for is you wanted to have the uh, characters be easily recognizable and not hidden behind too much armor. And uh, Doug Lyman, he is very much somebody that is about the practical world. And he wanted very much to have existing technology that shows that this is probably capable within a couple of years. And so it had to be grounded in a practical sense as well. Yeah. And they built all of these suits and, and they made them look uh, battle-worn. And I thought like, the suits looked great. They had like over 100 different parts, 150 different parts, something like that. It's like, holy buckets. Yeah. Did you hear how much they weighed? 70 pounds? 80 pounds? 80 pounds. And then if it was with more uh, rigging on it, then it'd be up to 130 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Emily Blunt first cried, or cried the first time she was in one because it was just so heavy. Yeah, but then she fucking she, nailed she, it. She got, a, she got a little pep talk from Tom Cruise after that. He told her not to be such a wuss. <laughs> well, if anyone can say it, I guess it's Tom fucking Cruise. Yeah, he picked Emily Blunt for this movie. I guess he always he wanted to do a movie with her. Oh, really? He thought this would be a great role, and it was her first action role. Oh, she nailed it. She went on to do a couple others, but yeah. this was a a great movie yeah. for her. Not to digress, but I did hear at one point that her and her husband John Krasinski were talking to Marvel to be Mister and Mrs. Fantastic to be continued. So yeah, he gets in his mech suit. They get ready to drop into France. And I thought this scene was fucking incredible. I thought the whole setup 
to this scene even with you know Tom Cruise first in the mech suit saying, how do I turn the safety off? How, I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. I have no training. And he's freaking out. I thought it was a great kind of just showing how, you know. And he played it brilliantly. How sad he was. Right? Yeah. Uh, so they're standing there and these drop ships, it reminded me of the droid dispensers, as I like to call them, in Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. When they land on Naboo and it comes out and then they drop them. So I, thought, mm-hmm. I thought we were never going to bring up that movie. Phantom Menace? Yeah. I don't mind the Phantom Menace. Oh, okay. It's, I mean, I'm sorry, listeners. I mind it, but, you know, I don't mind it. So the dropship was actually like 30, 50 feet up in the air. Yeah. And, and so when they drop, you know, they get a good drop out of that. Yeah. I like the I like the scene where the bottom opens up and they look down and Cruz is like, oh, my God. I would be shitting myself. I mean, watching it, I was kind of shitting myself. And then the thing blows up and you know it's going to because they linger on Cruz's face staring at Bill Paxton's character giving them a pep talk right before they drop and I'm thinking something's going to happen something's got to happen and of course there's an explosion and everyone starts dropping and it's chaos and they're cutting here they're cutting there and then finally Farrell says uh, release or die or cut or die or, or you know yeah. get the fuck out drop of the plane die, yeah. yeah and so he does and then he falls and then the camera work which i'm sure a lot of it was digital but if you're saying that they fell 40 50 feet I mean, the camera's gonna go with them so uh, i thought the effects looked really good in this film as well he lands and you get that fucking sense of world war ii for sure that opening like scene at ryan you took the words right out of my mouth yeah it oh god it was so scary yeah yeah, and everything's going like in kind of like in Starship Troopers, right? When they land and everything just starts going south. And then ultimately, Cage uh, gets trapped. He doesn't know what he's doing. The rest of J Squad has been wiped out. We have the mimics. Uh, we have the soldier mi- mimics, as we'll call them. And then we have one of the alphas, which we're introduced to. I think they called the low ranking ones drones. Oh, I think you're right. Or grunts. Something like that. Something, Something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. We get the um, uh, Alpha, and Tom Cruise's character sees a bunch of grenades laying on the ground, and he's going to do the self-sacrifice oh, thing. Oh, it's the uh, the, the front-exploding uh, Claymore mine, the, the tripwire Claymore mine style. You know, that uh, if, you, if you trip the cord like that, if mm-hmm. you trip the cord, then uh, it explodes outward. Right. And so, yeah, he put that right to his chest. And then the Alpha comes up to eat him. They blow up. And then somehow their blood gets mixed. And now Tom Cruise awakens to the previous day. Now, the interesting thing about the Alpha is that the brain bug, whatever it is, the Omega, only sends the Alpha in when it thinks it's already won an area or beat an area. That's why you notice when it first comes up, all the drones are in front of it, kind of protecting it. It's like he, uh, it's like he's a general. Yeah. So they thought that uh, Cruz was dead, that everyone was dead in that area, potentially. Um, but my thought was, again, this is number three on what bugs me, is that we find out later Rita had the same power, and she got the same power the same way, and Alpha bled on her. And they went through, she went through, I think, 300 times that she died well, and came back to that's life. that's what she says. Well, she says that, but she still went through it. And the Omega a bunch. figured out who she was. And then eventually she lost the powers. Okay, but that's not necessarily, that's not exactly how it was laid out in the story. What was laid out in the story was that she became injured. She bled out just not fast enough. 
where she was given somebody else's blood. But that scientist guy said the Omega was on to her because she started getting the visions and they were honing in on her. Mm -hmm. So the Omega knew that she was resetting the day. So if you know that that humans could steal the power by getting an alpha's blood, why would you send an alpha back out in the field? For the sport of it. Or just because it was in the script? Or because it was written that way. They thought Cruz was dead. And previous times has proven that, you know, they're kicking our ass. Slowly, mind you, but they're kicking our ass. So, and their alphas could be a dime a dozen. There could be a billion alphas, so it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They have more, uh, they can spare more blood. Like uh, What's-Her-Face says in Infinity War. Well, the the thought is, I guess... The Alpha tricked them at Verdun to thinking that they were winning. Right. And now they were sending all of their soldiers into one place where the Omega could have a concisive victory. The landing in France is a colossal failure. Farrell and J-Squad are quickly killed. Cage uses a Claymore mine to kill an unusually large blue mimic, but it is mortally wounded by the explosion and covered in the alien's blood. Cage jolts awake to find himself back at Heathrow, reliving the events of the previous morning. His attempts to warn Farrell against the invasions are ignored, and he repeats the loop of dying on the beach and waking at Heathrow again and again. During one loop, Cage tries to save Sergeant Rita Vratsky, a celebrated hero of the Battle of Verdun. She realizes Cage can loop time and orders him to find her the next time he wakes up. So this is where we get to meet the full metal bitch. You know when they're walking to battle and she's walking out, uh, the guy who calls her the full metal bitch, do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. That's her brother. Yeah. <laughs> nice cameo. Yeah. So she got to punch him. Yeah. And he, he takes a you know takes a fall. So yeah, she is the badass. She's the angel of Verdun. She's uh, known all over the world. She figures out what's going on or well, she kind of realizes. You say she's known all over the world. But you notice when later on in the movie that Cage and her show up at that office area mm-hmm. uh, to go see the general? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows them. Actually, going up the steps when they go in. She gets recognized. Oh, does she? Yeah. Okay. She gets think. recognized and Cage says, he recognizes you every time. So mm-hmm. turn around and then uh, she hides behind yeah. him as they. But I see what you're saying. Up. There are a lot of people that should know her. Mm-hmm. I mean, her face is on a bus. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and chalk it up to the guy always notices her and it was written that way. How badass was it that she carries a helicopter blade as a sword? Oh, it's completely badass and it totally fits the character. Do you know why she carries a sword? I did read that she carries a, what's called a melee weapon. Melee. Melee. She carries a melee weapon because in her past experiences, she always runs out of ammo. Yeah. Cage rewakens and locates Veratsky, who takes him to Dr. Carter, an expert in mimic biology. He explains that the mimics are a superorganism in which the Omega controls the cerebrum, while the alphas behave as a gangula through which the Omega controls ordinary mimics. If an alpha is terminated, the Omega resets the day and adjusts its tactics until the battle is won. Cage inadvertently hijacked their ability to reset time through his exposure to an alpha's blood. Veratsky had this ability at Verdun, using it to win the battle before she was wounded and received a blood transfusion, thus losing the power. She tells Cage to locate and kill the Omega to end the alien invasion. 
Did it bother you, either of you that this was just the classic? You know, anytime it seems like there's an alien invasion, there's always one hive mind, big boss. They just have to kill one alien and win the war. Well, I've seen it in a lot of movies. Yeah. That was one of the big differences between the book and the movie. In the book, there was no one brain bug. There was no Omega. So during this time, I will say that I definitely enjoyed watching Cage's uh, battle training happen. And that was one of the things that Tom Cruise enjoyed as well about this character. And so far as being able to have somebody that dies over and over again, it's kind of fun to look at how many different ways somebody can die. I guess Tom Cruise and the director, they wanted each one of his deaths not only to be scary, but funny. And I think they accomplished that. Yeah. Uh, um, he uh, he likened it to uh, um, like a Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. Yeah. What was your favorite way of him dying? Hmm. One of mine was uh, during the training where he either, I think he broke his back. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it's, it's all okay. It's okay. I, I'm fine. It's okay. Okay, go ahead and do it. For me, when he is asking Rita, have you explored all the different ways that you might be able to transfer the power. I mean, all the ways. Are you talking about sex? Well, I was just thinking. And then she whaps him. You know, she, she T-bones him with one of the, the, the machines. Oh, right. Uh, for mine, I think uh, my favorite death scene is when he, they're doing, he's doing push-ups. And he thinks he can roll underneath the truck that's coming along. And the first time he tries it, he does it. And there's a he just lets off a crazy scream we get to hear that scream a couple times it's a nice high-pitched scream Ah! yeah it's a nice high-pitched scream and i really enjoy it each time we get to hear it what does bill paxton say he says something like what'd you do that for now this brings up an interesting point and i was reading about this uh critics online bring it up that is he resetting the day or is he going with the end game theory of he's just creating new was it new branches of time because he's dead, yet Bill Paxton's going on. So I thought about that too, because what happens in these timelines? Do these timelines continue on or do they stop? I mean, like how many times is Rita facing some sort of a court martial for shooting, for shooting um, Cage's character, right? Is she getting in trouble over and over again? How many different timelines are going on? But they, they probably just don't exist anywhere. Right. They, they don't say he resets the timeline. He resets the day. So everything starts over. Mm-hmm. That's, but, that's what I kind of think. But the too. day kept going after he was already dead. Although some people say, well, maybe he didn't die right away when he got run over. Yeah, sure. Uh, whatever. Because uh, <laughs> it was written that way. The, the story tells me that he resets the day. And, you know, to be honest about it, I didn't, it didn't matter to me where I would want to even think about that, if that no. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was a, it was Groundhog's Day. Mm-hmm. You could say the same thing about Groundhog's Day or any other movie that Reset. is based do you, on do you, Groundhog's Day. Even though it was very Groundhog's Day, did you know the big difference between this movie and Groundhog's Day besides the aliens? Bill Murray and Tom Cruise? Yeah. Well, just the, the kind of the story of the resetting. No. Well, how, he, how Tom Cruise's resets are different than Bill Murray's resets. Well, okay. Tom Cruise dies, Bill Murray goes to sleep. Or he can die. Yeah. Well, the big thing Bill Murray is, kills himself a couple of times. The big difference is that every time Bill Murray resets in Groundhog's Day, he's excited every time a new thing comes along. 
Uh, I guess Tom Cruise's character, Cage, was written that every time something new came along, Tom Cruise was supposed to be afraid of it. Uh, I didn't see that. I, yeah, it was I really more in the in the manga that they show that. But Even in Groundhog's Day, he's not always excited. He's actually kind of pissed off a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he looks depressed and, and bored with it. Before he figures out, I mean, he spends the first half of that movie trying to get laid. So once he figures out that he can just keep doing it and learning something, as, as soon as he buys it and as soon as he accepts it, uh, the movie moves forward, but mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? K. Uh, Cruz is kind of the same way because the first couple of times we see the flash or the resets, uh, you know, the second day he's in battle and then he dies, and then the third day he's in battle and then he, I think he meets Rita then. But um, it felt very much like those first couple of times is that he was still kind of lost and he was still mm-hmm. kind of very mm-hmm. scared about what was going on. Um, so. And you I, know. I dug the cadence of these early deaths too, you know, uh, those gunshots over and over, you know, the different way. I, I, I think my back is broken. I, I can only feel my lips. And, the, and then she tells him, this is very important. This is the most important thing. And then Did right he, after, break, he broke his leg just one time and yeah. she shot him. And then we have this quick succession, this nice little cadence, you know, the, the 10th time, the 11th time, the 12th time, the 13th, 14th. And then, you know, you hear the gunshot, maggot. Gunshot, maggot, gunshot, maggot. Love these quick succession of kills. And we keep kind of building upon the last one. So we don't have to be bothered of watching the kind of the same thing over and over again. We get uh, progressively further in his day or what he is, abs- uh, what he's actually trying to do. Uh, I thought th- this section of the film I thought was brilliantly cut and it, it kept me moving and it kept me entertained. And that's what surprised me about this film is that this scene of him, this repetitive sequence. The editing is key. For and this. just gets, it's almost a perfectly edited movie. Did you get the, uh, the feeling of what the original writer was going for, which was, this is a video game that basically just like any video game, you can reset it, start over and try to do it a different way. So much so that when he does finally lose the power, I'm thinking, fuck, this is this is the last life. This is it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, very much a video game. And that's what I kind of dug about it, too. And then you start thinking about, okay, if he's gotten this far on this day, when he resets, does he have to go through all of that stuff to get to this point again? And then the further he gets along and he has to reset, the further he has to go. You know, but then if you keep doing it and doing it, mm-hmm. you're going to get the pattern down and you can get to your last save point uh quicker he just needed the cheat code yeah yeah it's uh but it's also done well where you have some of the editing that shows that there is more passage of time that we don't see like the first time that he's talking to to rita and he's talking about how this isn't the first time they met and and he has what she has and then we watch him shoot a mimic over his head and then she's in awe and then he shoots a mimic to the left. She's in awe again. Come on, we have to get out of here before this explodes. Mm-hmm. And then she, he kills another one and he's like, wait, wait. Okay, go. Over many loops, Ratsky trains Cage to excel in combat. After a frustrating lesson, Cage escapes to London only to discover that the mimics will attack their next after the invasion. 
After seeing visions of a dam in Germany where the Omega is hiding and spending many loops figuring out how to escape the invasion and reach the dam, Cage grows closer to Veratsky, but she is only interested in the mission. Upon reaching a point where Veratsky is killed, no matter what they do, Cage flies to the dam alone. The Omega is not there, and he is ambushed by an Alpha who attempts to strip him of his ability to reset time, but Cage deliberately drowns himself. Okay, so this point in the movie is where an issue bugged me the most. I don't know how you guys felt about it. was Cage tells Veratsky not to take the helicopter because she dies every time she gets in the helicopter. Yet she insists on taking the helicopter. Can't he just say right in the beginning, you're going to want to take the helicopter. It's going to screw up the mission. We're going to die. Don't do it. He probably has spent many a time trying to do that. And I would assume that some of them did work because he said he tried everything. So maybe they did skip it one time and they're killed right away or whatever happens happened. Yeah, it was it was kind of she I felt like she was doing it just to kind of prove him wrong or But she had followed his direction the whole way there, you know, go left, go right, do this, do that. This is the one thing she's going to disagree on that he tells her it's assured you're going to die. Well, at this point, you know, he he notices or she notices he tips his hand because he's sugar, right? And then he says, you like three. Right. So he, he knows her, her coffee orders. And she knows that he knows <laughs> more about her than she, she realizes. She mm-hmm. just met him. Mm-hmm. Really. She has to go through and meet him every day again and again and again. And he has the advantage of knowing so much about her. So it's in a way, it's kind of weird. Uh, but if, why is does she purposely go to the helicopter? Probably because he freaked her out with that moment about the sugar. I know you don't like the emotions and the well, love I, stuff, but I mean it's part of the story. It just it seemed like such a character change for her that all you know, like I said, she was all soldier following his direction, and now she's going to do something that she knows. I mean, he flat out tells her it's going to screw everything up and screw the mission up. Yeah, she dies every time she does this. She doesn't go any farther. Well, if this is the first time that he tries this approach and she is freaked out and I think it's emotional and she goes out and if she dies, she knows he has to die because they have to reset the day. Mm -hmm. So who knows at that point? Mm -hmm. Then my other thought, and I think Ken, you were kind of talking about this of, you know, how long has he gone through the whole day before you know he has to reset and start over how long they were they started in verdun which where is verdun france is that in france and they have to go all the way from france to a german dam how long does it take to go from france to germany by car or whatever that's a long time so they've probably done a lot of travel and now he's got to go through all that over again yeah it kind of hurts my it kind of hurt my brain to think about you know, once he resets what he's got to go through, they have to go see Dr. Carter up until the point where they don't need him anymore. And they, they, they know what they're him. looking for. Yeah. Because eventually he, uh, Cruz does start getting the visions and that's when he sees the dam. And you know, it, it hurts the mind to think how many times this has happened. Okay. But think about how many times you've played a video game and you've gone through that level a bazillion times. Countless. 
I and, quit after three times. And <laughs> when you go through that, those levels, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, and then I got to do this, I do this, and I do that. Same thing for him. And and what I enjoyed and what I appreciated about this film is every time we progressively got further, it didn't slow us down. What's that game, that, that cowboy game that you go through? Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption. I think I was telling you about this. I bought it. I played it. I got through the first training mission where you have to go and kill some people at a barn. I think I went through it five times. I haven't touched it since. So I would be horrible <laughs> in this movie. I'd be basically Tom Cruise. I would just be sitting down accepting my fate and dying every time. I think I would be Bill Murray just driving off the cliff in Groundhog's Day. <laughs> over and over again. So you know that scene where uh, they make a break in, in the RV park, in the trailer park, and and. Remember to unhitch the camper. Which she never does. Which she doesn't. And then she takes off wildly and and it's swinging madly behind them. When that is happening, the director told her to do that because they wanted to have the uh, trailer uh, kicking back and forth wild, wildly like that. Unfortunately, she missed the mark where she was supposed to be doing that and she overshot it and she slammed the minivan into a tree and she was petrified that she could have killed Tom Cruise in the accident, but they ended up just laughing hysterically about it after it happened. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. I love the way uh, that, uh, that mimic came shooting up through the trailer. Yeah. That looked great. Yeah. And then, and then cage coming up. Through the sunroof, or was it a sunroof? I think so, or maybe it might have just been a hole. It just the, might have been a hole in the top from of the, firing yeah. at the at the mimic. Yeah, I like how the recording on the car tells them to make sure that all the doors are closed and locked, <laughs> and there are no doors on the car. Irony, yeah, yeah. No, that was that, mm. was that was a good scene, but again, I kept going back to she's been told how many times to probably unhitch that. Oh, probably every single time. And he knows that she's going to forget every time. Yeah. But, you know, during that car ride, it gives another one of those moments where Cage is trying to do the small talk when we reali- and we realize that there's been a bunch of car ride small talk that we haven't heard because he starts talking about some of her personal life. Right. And, and I enjoy those moments as they are sprinkled throughout the movie. Oh, he knows that because... This is, he's done this a bunch of times already. Yeah. Yeah. And so we get to the barn and this is that scene where, you know, the three sugars and she asks him how many times have we done this? And he says, you know, this is as far as you go. We should just reset. Okay. I'll give you 10 minutes. And then I'm going to kill you. So she stubbornly takes the helicopter and as his character predicted she dies and he has to reset the day which he does and then this time when he resets the day he says he can't he doesn't even contact her right i feel like he he, no he goes in there looks at her and she you go through the whole uh, the whole bit again but at this time he says uh never mind and walks out and so he starts to do it again and they show us deliberately him landing on the beach and instead of saving his j squad partner like he has been the past couple of times or who knows how long he if he always saves them in this scenario but we deliberately see that he doesn't it's like he doesn't care he wants to get through the levels as fast as possible to get to the helicopter and and we see this turn in his character this grittiness and he talks about why aren't you wearing your helmet 
I find it to be a, a distraction. And then that other bit where he says, I need three more clips of five, five, six, eight grenades and an extra battery. Get it. Yeah. So that grittiness. I kind yep. of felt that he, at this point is the shift of he's becoming more soldier than he is becoming a person. He's just about the mission. Now he's just going to get it done. I think he's always a person. And I think he always has that human element because I think, or what I can see in Tom Cruise does it well in his face. Uh, so when he does do that bit about, I need this, 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 you can literally see the transformation from the first time he was on that drop ship to this time. Now he's become Ethan Hunt. Oh, I think he's always Ethan Hunt. Uh, <laughs> Mission Impossible. So yeah, the, you definitely see the transformation and he, he wants to get through the level as fast as possible. It's kind of what the pacing felt like in the editing and as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, I've been on those video game levels where I've done it over and over again. Now I'm pissed off and I want to get through it as fast as possible. I don't worry about anything. Mm -hmm. Right. So he does that, gets the helicopter, goes to the dam and he finds out that it was a trap. He's been duped. He's been duped. They want to steal the power back. Yeah. And I, I think I didn't get that he drowns himself because I remember him trying to shoot himself, but I thought I saw the mimic get the gun out of his hand Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and wouldn't let him do it because he knows. So I, I must've missed the bit where he drowns himself, but he's, he manages to reset the day again. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he tells everybody they're not there. These dreams are bullshit. These visions that we're having is they're They were waiting for us. Mm -hmm. And so they come up with a new plan. Let's go to headquarters. Yep. Cage and Veratsky infiltrate the ministry of defense where Cage convinces Brigham to give him Carter's prototype device that can locate the Omega. In the ensuing car chase, they discover the Omega is under the Louvre in Paris. Cage is captured and seriously injured, waking in a hospital to find he has been given a blood transfusion and has lost the ability to loop time. Okay, so I think this was my fourth issue. Why do aliens always pick recognizable landmarks to hide in? Um, that is a good question. Um, maybe they just want to take in the sights. I really dug the conversation that, that they have with the general in headquarters. I, 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 I love, you know, talking about, you know, we should just shoot him. No, 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 no. And, and then, you know, what the secretary comes in uh, and how he instructs the general to answer the telephone. He's already been through it all, so he yes. tells him exactly what's going to happen, who's on the phone, Lo- this is what you're thinking, this Love is what you're going to do. Scene. And, he, and Cruz does this to a lot of different people. He comes in and tells them exactly what's going to happen. He plays it really cool. And I and I enjoyed those scenes. And, and I, I love the fact that the general lingers for so long after he pulls the device out of the safe because it, it's one of those moments where you are waiting to see, is this going to, is he going to do it you know every this is one of those moments in a movie where everybody waits to see which way is this going to go so the general ends up giving them the device now this is the problem i had because this isn't a perfect movie but it's a fun movie right Mm -hmm. this is the problem i had why if i'm the general why give it to him and then just ambush him outside why dissect. arrest him? The device could have gotten damaged during the ambush. I mean, no, if you right, had, but why no. even do it in the first place? Know, you just no, gave it to him. No, dissect him. They're, I don't know why they gave it to him because I think that he felt like his life is in danger since they talked about shooting him and the crew's like, Cage is like, no, no, let's not. So get him out, get him surrounded, 
and then they get to dissect them. Mm. The other thing too is if that, that, but that gives us such a opportunity for them to get away. If yeah. I'm the general, I, I rethink that plan. Okay, but it's a, it's his it's his first time through each time. He has to ha- make a split second decision. It it's kind sure. of brought up earlier on in the movie, but why didn't the doctor, the scientist guy who knows all about the mimics and everything, bring up this device a lot sooner? He did. He kind of mentions it and says, "I don't really want to go that way." You know, I would have pushed in the first place. Let's find out where he is. Yeah, maybe in his previous experiences, because they would have had to gone through it with uh, Rita. That's where they probably. That's where probably where the research all started. He, he really. said he was close, and and the only working prototype that that he knew of is with the general. Right. Right. So why not go after it? Cause he probably didn't have the means to go after the general and probably at the time Rita didn't either. I just thought it was odd that they gave it to him. They let him go and then they tried to arrest him. And then, you know, he, he gets away, which he has to. It has the car crash. Right. So, oh, then now we're into a action sequence. They're in the car. He stabs himself in the leg with this thing and they find out. Well, he didn't where stab himself. Oh, uh, he was holding it over his leg and she slammed yep. his hand down. And he was like, <laughs> I thought that was a great scene as well. Yeah, that was good. That was good. And it lets them know that the Omega is at the Louvre in Paris. And that's where seeing we're Seeing the sights. Seeing the, the Omega was seeing the sights? Yeah, the Omega was seeing the sights, as you put it. Oh, yeah. At the Louvre. The sights. Um, and then we find out that he's he's had a blood transfusion. And uh, Rita, she's all set. All right, let's just reset. And he's yeah. like, no, 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 no. Yeah, and and this is where I got that feeling, right? This is your last life. This is it. This no was, more. This was no more one resets. of my favorite interactions between the two. When he's upside down. When he does the whole thing of he's trying to get out and he turns himself upside down, and she still has to come in and save him. Yeah. You know, this is the big Tom Cruise escape moment. Cage. But it took me three minutes. <laughs> and you're still in here. Yeah. So I thought that was just great. Yeah. The the chemistry between Blunt and Cruise worked. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was enjoyable. I like that. Baratsky frees Cage and they recruit J-Squad to help destroy the Omega before the invasion begins. They fly to Paris where the soldiers sacrifice themselves so that Cage and Baratsky can reach the Louvre before luring away an Alpha standing between them and the submerged Omega. Baratsky kisses Cage to thank him for getting her as far as he did. When the Alpha kills Baratsky and mortally wounds Cage, he manages to drop a belt of grenades that destroys the Omega, killing the Alpha and the Mimics. So what do you guys think of their their assault on... Well, first, I like the recruitment of the J-Squad. Totally. Right? Totally, totally dug that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it, he comes walking in, and the, I'm sure uh, Farrell has assigned privates to go look for him and then they finally meet and he tells them all this stuff and just that dialogue and that Mm -hmm. the the quick cutting and now we Mm -hmm. they catch us up really quick and we know that he's done this probably a million times because he knows everything about each one of the j squad so if you try to write uh wrap your head around that it's insane it Um, made me feel so much better to see j squad come back into the storyline because once cage is out i'm thinking oh we're fucked. Yeah. It, it's just like, that's it. No more resets. We yeah. are so... And so to get the J-Squad come back in, it's like, okay. Yeah. And all that training, all that dying, all that time, 
it has all come to this. And so they get J squad involved. They steal a, uh, I guess pretty easily. They yeah, steal a transport. That's a little strange. <clears throat> that's okay. People get in, uh, aircraft all the time and just take off. It's all good. It's all good. They get to the Louvre. There's an attack coming. It kind of reminded me of, uh, revolutions a little bit when Trinity and Neo were going after the, trying to get to the, 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 the machine, machine city. city. <sighs> Do we have to talk about that? No, I was going to move on until you Please. interrupted me. You're still interrupting me. <laughs> so I really like that scene. And then that gunner that they put on the, uh, out of the. Oh, that was the scary spaceship, as shit. Can you imagine dangling outside? No. And how the fuck does he live through that? I when, didn't know he lived. Well, Tom Cruise, he, Tom. Remember, the gunner on the side. Right. And you he get crashes the, into the pillar. You get the mimic coming in through uh, through the back cockpit door, and uh-huh. then he says, "Okay, you hold on, I I I gotta go." And then he goes out to the side door, and then he's dangling outside, shooting the gun. And they hit that pillar, and I thought, of all he the says, deaths, punch it, punch it, punch all it. All of the deaths that killed Cruise throughout the movie, that one should have been assured. It's totally, there's no way he would have lived through that. But no, he's still there dangling after hitting the pillar. He's Tom freaking Cruise. But, you know, there was something interesting about this. The original plan to end the movie was to be on a dark note because I guess they were saying, Tom Cruise was telling J-Squad when they were on the plane not to kill an alpha because if we kill an alpha, they're going to reset the day and we may not even know it. We'll go through all this again and we won't even know it. And we won't even know it. And there's a line, and I can't remember what the line is, but one of the people says something about, I feel like we've done this before or they knew we were coming is what he says. They knew we were coming which was accidentally left in because that's how the director was going to end it. They were going to end up in a loop over and over again, not realizing that they had killed an alpha and reset the day. Yeah, that would have been interesting. So yeah, they get into the Louvre and, and, and Rita dies. Sacrifices herself. They work their way down, which yeah. takes me to um, the kiss. And the kiss, so, man, I tell you, it, it, it chaps my hide. It so does not belong in the story. Can you imagine meeting somebody and then at the end of the day you give them a kiss like that? I, I, I'm sorry. I realize that Cage's character knows this person because he has spent countless hours with Rita, but Rita has spent 24 hours with him, and I thought that that kiss was just way off the mark. It would have been such um, a richer story if... She just could have said something to the effect of, you know, I, I only met you, you know, yesterday, and I know that you know me a million times more, but I, I just want to say thank you. And then I would have loved it just with a, a little touch of their foreheads, and then she leaves. Fist bump? Not a fist bump, just, just a touch of their foreheads. And then she leaves. I kind of took it a little bit differently. I didn't take it as a romantic kiss. I took it as she knows she's about to die. This is the last thing she's going to do. She's just going to get a quick little peck from him to thank him and head on. I didn't even feel it was romantic at all. Did you feel it was romantic, Don? I did. And I thought it was justified. And I thought, you're right. Tom, or Cage Cage has known her for probably years, really, if you think about the loops and going back Mm -hmm. back and forth. And she's known him for 24 hours. But think about that 24 hours that she's known him. She's been fighting this battle for so long. And all of a sudden, here comes the guy 
that I guess we've been waiting for. She knows it's happened to her and she knows it's happening to him. So she automatically trusts that. And so then they went through a lot to get where they've gotten. And so, and you're right. I, John, I, I agree to uh, your point as well. She knows she's going to die. She kind of might have feelings for this guy. I mean, this has been a pretty intense 24 hours. Yeah, she hasn't had time to invest those kind of feelings. I disagree. They've been way too fucking busy. I think he should have been way too busy. I but there's he, um, but there's moments, right? That you have to assume that that car or how did they get there? No, no. Oh no, the, this is real life. That's that's the helicopter. She doesn't experience the helicopter stuff. Right. You're right. I think at that point he should have basically said, "Hey, whoa, hashtag me too. That's sexual harassment. You barely know me. Come on. Wow. That's improper touching, stranger danger. Wow. So you have, so there you have it. You have three different views on uh, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt's kiss. Now, now let's get to the next part where, you know, he's floating down and he opens up his hand with all the little grenade things, yeah. a la uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah, that was the same thing He did thing the that same happened. thing in War of the Worlds. Did he really? Yeah. yeah. When he was sucked up into the where, machine. Where the grenades are released and then all of a sudden you see the hand open up and the pins float come floating out. Yeah. But he did that with the grenade belt in uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah, I didn't know that. So anyways, yeah, we have that kind of cliche uh, pull all the rings. It's been done a bunch of different times in a bunch of different movies. But here, I it works. It's fine. And he gets to blow up the Omega and everyone else. So I did an unofficial count how many times we got to watch Tom Cruise reset himself. How many times was that, Professor? I had an unofficial count of 33 times they are saying and i think the director said this interview he thinks that it was at least a thousand times for Tom yeah Cruise. i've heard that too and some i also heard somewhere that if you did the math or i think it might be on youtube it's like 13 years worth mm. of uh resetting the day that would if you, suck if you put all the time together he probably doesn't that makes bill murray a wuss <laughs> kind of, kind of. But, I mean, he, he only does it 12 hours at a time. So, I mean, that's got to be well, absolutely, the, or however long, right? It can't longer. be, I'm sure it is. Because they say he, at the first base that he was at where he wakes up, you know, hello, maggot, mm -hmm. or get up, maggot, whatever it is. Uh, they say that that's actually three or four days because you notice a few of the scenes when he's on the base. It's nighttime, daytime, nighttime. See, so I they don't show that all in the beginning, but it's supposed to be a few days before he actually goes to the dropship. Oh, see, I always just assumed that it was the next day. And and I was okay it, with that. It, it didn't it didn't it bother me. It was 24 hours. Yeah. Because well, I think it was well, actually more than that because uh, he had to have time to train and do other stuff. Okay, and, but, but Sergeant Farrell says... We are within 24 hours. No calls in or out. That's true. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so, remember um, PT in 10 minutes? And then that's them outside. And then that's where that's where Cage makes his getaway, rolling underneath. Mm -hmm. Do you think Tom Cruise actually rolled his, himself underneath a moving vehicle? I don't know. I, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did. It wouldn't surprise me if he did, but I was thinking about that since Tom Cruise loves doing his own stunts. When I watch that moment happen, I'm thinking, would they? Would Tom Cruise really be willing to roll underneath a moving truck like that? I, I, do, I don't know. I, I thought the same thing. If it's going slow enough and they do the roll stuff and they just fat, fast forward the camera, it wouldn't be too easy, too hard to do. 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that seems awfully now, risky. Now, when Cruz was floating down towards the Omega, did you catch that the Omega had a T-shirt that says, I went to the Louvre and all I got was this stinking T-shirt? <laughs> no, I missed that. Uh, I, I did not see that. I was yeah. checking. As a dying cage floats down into the Omega's blood, he loops again and awakens two days earlier en route to his original meeting with Brigham prior to the UDF invasion of France. But this time he awakens in an alternative history where the mimics are weak and helpless in this alternative timeline as he drives to Heathrow. When he arrives, he sees that all of J-Squad are alive, preparing for what will presumably be a much easier invasion. He later finds Veratsky, who doesn't recognize him, and greets him as coldly as she did in the previous loops. Cage laughs. So I didn't necessarily catch that, that after the alpha is gone, that the alpha has been removed in this new timeline that Cage has been thrown back to. I just thought that we got an extra day out of it. But after hearing the synopsis, it's like, oh. So here's where I was at with that. You, you blew up the Omega that should have won the war. Why are we still looping? Why? No, 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 no. I get, I get the loop. I get the loop. For sure, I get the loop. Why are they still fighting? Why are they still fighting? Why are they still training? The way, Why are they still on base? The way that I got it was the Omega was the brain, and he controlled all the drones and the Alpha Center. Now the brain is dead, and they're acting independently. They are no longer a hive mind. So that's oh. why they're so easy to kill. They're very docile now. Oh, that makes sense. Because it shows them all stopping. And so the story is is that now J-Squad is going to go to that beach again, except it's going to be completely different. The mimics are going to be docile. Oh. And so they're just going to wipe them out. It's going to be an easy win. That totally makes sense. So that's the way I took it. The other way I took it, too, is that, you know, his cage didn't jump back, jump back to his original timeline that he kept bouncing on. He jumped back two days earlier. So my guess is the Omega's blood was a little more powerful than the uh, Alpha's. That's, that's and so now maybe it. in the new movie... He's either going to have better time traveling abilities or just be a little bit more stronger with it. Because, you know, the alphas caused the Omega to reset, but now he's got the Omega's blood on him. Yeah. And and I can see it going that way. I think when he wakes up two days earlier, it, it threw me for a loop. That's for sure. And I'm thinking, why are they going two days back? And then I thought, you know what? I've been with them this long. I'll just write it out to the end. Yeah, so it didn't bother me Get the happy chiming church bells. But now he's back totally. to being a major and he's... Yeah, you know, didn't have that uh, trying to escape kind of thing. All that happening. <laughs> so, so he, he gets, still has his rank. He yeah. he's, he gets the Back to the Future ending. Yeah, he gets the black truck. Gets his girlfriend. But if, no, but of course, I think I had to have a feeling that Rita wouldn't want to be with a major. She'd be with a private before she'd be with him. Because now she's going to think he's just this upper class snotty guy who never fought a day in his life. No, she he's going to tell her. Tell That's her what I story. think cool. too. Of course he does. She thinks he's a stalker at first. What are well, you looking at? Yeah, and well, <laughs> true. And then he's just giggling like a little boy. True, but then we cut to black really quick. So I mean, he flashes that Tom Cruise smile, and he's going to win. Now the sequel coming out. Do you kind of hope it starts there, or? Well, to be quite honest, I really don't want a sequel. Mm. I, I don't think it needs I, one. I, I thought that I read someplace, but of course, as with all scripts, they go through lengthy revisions and, you know, one storyline, another storyline. But I thought I read somewhere along the line that maybe it is not after this, that it is a prequel of sorts. 
Which kind of makes it even worse. I well, it's supposed I to have both. Cruz and Blunt have both signed on to do it, so I don't know how they would do a prequel that would work. Well, he can jump back to save her original love. And very done. That, yeah, Edward done. I really hope, well, <laughs> so in, that in, sounds dumb. So in general, Rita, total badass, total badass, right? I mm-hmm. thought she was, except for the kiss, I agree with you, Don. I thought she was scripted and designed perfectly for a badass, you know, warrior. Not just, you know, looking at a female versus male, badass. Oh, yeah, she was definitely a soldier. The angel of Verdun. Yeah. She was the angel of Verdun, absolutely. Well yeah, put. She, she was totally fierce. Uh, during her, uh, when she was trying out for the uh, the scene, you know, when she does that that plank hold for, for longer takes, she did need a wire for that, but she's actually capable of doing that. And so, when she was uh, when she was trying out, there was a cast member that said, "M, show them that yoga move," and she just casually demonstrates it. That, that's a great move. Uh, totally loved the character. Uh, loved Emily Blunt in it. Fantastic job. Tom Cruise, I thought, did a great job for being Tom Cruise, uh, another Tom Cruise vehicle that, you know, I guess I enjoy, I guess I enjoy Tom Cruise movies. I guess some of them are guilty pleasures. And you, you can enjoy Tom Cruise movies. This vehicle works as a great summer movie. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Starring Tom Cruise. And, you know, getting back to like War of the Worlds, I liked, I enjoyed War of the Worlds, uh, Mission Impossibles. I've seen them all. They're not all great by any means, but they're entertaining. So, you know, the guy... The guy's been around. He's kind of like one of the last movie stars from like the eighties in that that era of royalty. Are I you going to see uh, Top Gun too? Probably. If we can, if they're gonna like put it on HBO Max or something, and you can watch it for free, why not? What if you had to go see it in the theater? Would you go see it with me? I don't know. I would. I know you would. I might wait. For HBO. <laughs> I was counting on you going with me, buddy. What? I might wait for HBO on that one. All right. Well, fuck you then. I don't let, you know. Are you buying me popcorn? Not anymore. <sighs> fuck that guy. Okay, but you know, just knowing the way Tom Cruise is for movies, like he, you know, he was relentless on this set. That the rest of the supporting cast, they're like. Man, look at him. He's, you know, seven days a week, 10 hours a day. He, he just go, go, go. He sets the bar. He also started filming this something like three days after they filmed, finished shooting Oblivion. Right. And, and so he, he's like this. And the insistence on doing his own stunts, uh, uh, he told Lyman that, you know, if you want to film seven days a week, I'll go seven days a week, whatever you want. Just, you know, this relentless attitude of, of wanting the audience to experience you know a, a, a great movie so you know maverick in, in top gun again you know it's gonna have that tom cruise work ethic to it it's gonna have that great look and you're gonna watch that stuff and you go holy shit he's really doing that it's gonna be top gun but instead of him playing maverick i mean he's still gonna be maverick but he's gonna be playing uh striker no no, not, no slider no, no. Uh, 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 yes Yes, he, not Viper, but, but Tom Skerritt's role. Yes, what the fuck is it? Uh, it's Tom Skerritt's role. Viper Jester. No, Jester's. Jester's. Dead. It is Viper. It, it, yeah, because Ronnie Wilk, Ronnie Cox is Jester. No, Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside. Jester's dead. Right. So it is Viper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he'll be playing the Viper role, even though he hasn't progressed anywhere in the Navy since we've last seen him. So I might already have problems with the movie, but we'll talk about that later. All right, let's talk about 
rating this movie. So when we rate our movies, what do we do? Basically, our ratings are based off of if you're channel surfing and you come across this movie, are you going to immediately watch it? Are you going to just watch parts of it? Are you going to see what else is on? Maybe there's something better on. Yeah. Uh, You just kind of... It's how much we're going to want to watch of this movie and will it trump other movies? So basically we give it a one through five, five being, Oh, I'm going to watch this movie every time start to finish three being, I might watch a couple of scenes of it and then I'll skip on another movie. One I'm, I'm skipping forward to find something better. Yep. For sure. Uh, your movie professor, you're up. Okay. So, you know, for this being, um, a Tom Cruise movie that that works a little bit against it because I got to overcome that Tom Cruise bar. It, it's it's a little bit of an obstacle for me. But I think that Tom Cruise delivers well on this that I don't see him, the actor, I see more of his character, Cage. And I am very entertained watching all the different deaths that he goes through. And I enjoyed the slightly uh, lightheartedness of some of these deaths and the dialogue that he and Emily Blunt has has. And Emily Blunt, she is delightful in this movie. I, I thought she had a, a, a solid character, completely badass. And the, uh, the majesty of, of the, the, the beachfront, that, that huge beachfront. Did you realize that it was 300 yards by 300 yards huge and they had like over a thousand feet of green screen like 30 feet high just impressive i just dug those mech suits it's a really fun movie i think that it is definitely a four all right all right four for the professor john i'm actually going to go off the fact that this movie shows all the time i believe on tnt and in the past Every time it's on, I watch it only because I, just, I think it's a funny movie. And I, and I think they, they did exactly what they intended with the deaths being both scary and funny at the same time. I like your, your uh, comparison to Wile E. Coyote. Uh, it's just a great movie. It was filmed great. Not a huge Tom Cruise fan, got to admit. But it worked in this movie. And I like the fact that he starts off not knowing anything and bad at what he does and becomes this badass soldier by the end. I also like movies that empower the women that she's not just a sex object in the movie, which she isn't at all in this movie. She is a badass warrior. And I really liked that. And I thought Emily Blunt blew it away. So I'm also going to go with a four on this movie because this is a movie that I will watch almost every time. Right on. I, like this film, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I agree with you, Ken. You have to, for me, I have to get over that Tom Cruise factor. Uh, fortunately for me, I got over that real quick when I saw him play the coward. Him trying to get out of going into combat it reminded me of someone I know. And every time, instead you of asshole. Seeing- <laughs> So instead of seeing Tom Cruise on the screen when he was the coward, I saw this person that I know, which I'm not going to name. And no, it's not you, John. Uh, So I thought that the acting was good. The casting was great. The action, the editing, everything was well paced. 
Is this a perfect movie? Not by any means. Are there flaws? Absolutely. But can I get over those flaws and continue to have a good time? Yeah, for sure. This movie is on a lot like on TNT or TBS or whatever the station is. So you get the commercials and, you know, you know me, I'm a movie snob. Uh, but if I see it on something that doesn't have commercials, if it's on, I'll stop and watch it for a while. I think it's that entertaining. So, you know what? I am going to go with a four. The first time, I think, that we've all had the same rank. You know, I meant to look up our ranks uh, earlier, and I forgot to do that because... Is that, is that right? On our, the first time? on our webpage, there actually is a link to all of our ratings that we've done for our podcast that we've released our webpage can be found on a bunch of different platforms too. Yeah, at three guys in a flick.com and all of the different podcasting sources. Yeah. So uh, do us a favor and go out and check out the website and you can go to our uh, Facebook page. You can go to our Twitter and leave us a suggestion of something that you want to see us. Otherwise, we're just going to go to the helmet. And what is the helmet, Don? Uh, the helmet is where we have our movies and we randomly draw them out of the helmet. Now, now we don't know what we're going to pick because we've all put in random movies. Right. So we started with five movies that we liked. As we said earlier in the pod, we have gone through all of those 15 movies. And now what we are doing is we're going to try something different. We cut up a bunch of different genres and threw them into the Bronco helmet. And we pulled out six genres, um, which were, Food movie, western, period piece, action adventure, road movie, and buddy film. That's right. And so when we came in this evening, we put all of our picks on our post-its and we put them in the Bronco helmet. So now we have... How many 16? Movies? No, uh, 18. Well, 17 because I haven't put in my action yet. So Bitch. I know. Well, thank you. So, uh, to who's you, the asshole now? I never claim not to be the asshole, and Fuck I'm okay this with guy. that. <laughs> there you go. Well put. Fuck this guy. Yeah. Which was going to be the original name of our podcast. All right. So I have thrown the last movie into the Bronco helmet, and we're giving it a shake. We're reaching in. Doesn't it feel like we've done this before? Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to pick up the Bronco helmet and select a film for next week's podcast. And I am reaching in. And I am going to pull out. Don't touch me there. Touch me here. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, my eyes are closed, so I really don't uh, know what You're getting I'm a little grabbing. handsy there. All right, I'm going to go with this one. I had one in my hand, and I let it go, and my gut says this one. Okay, so... Uh, we, what is our genre first and then tell us our movie? No, I want to hear what the movie is and then what the genre is. No, I want to hear the genre. first. No, I want to hear what the movie is and then we hear what the genre is. So we picked our movie and we're going to go ahead and probably read what the movie is and then the genre, or I might read the genre and then the movie. Did I have you guys seal this? Cause that was a dumb idea. Uh, our first film in the first genre is buddy movie and we are going with tommy boy which was one of my picks all right so john uh not getting any picks the last time around in the bronco helmet comes out with the first pick i'm in the time. lead with one there you go so next week is going to be tommy boy yeah chris farley david spade 
you know, out of all of uh, Chris Farley's movies, I think Tommy Boy is my favorite. Yeah. So I'm excited to watch there's it again. It's been, good, there's it's, a lot of good stuff in there. There's yeah. that and Black Sheep, and I think this one just edges out as the better movie. It is. Oh, uh, agreed, 100%. Uh, so I'm excited to watch it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. So, mm-hmm. All right, till next time, uh, faithful listeners. I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. And we'll see you next time.